Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. you're listening to Commons and Chronicles. This is Klaatu, and in this episode I want to talk about the Tanifa. Now, I am by no means an expert on this topic, and in fact, I am very new to this topic, but that is why it is such an interesting topic, I think. I'm not a native to New Zealand, as you might be able to tell from my accent, or lack of my accent, whatever perspective you have, but I've moved to New Zealand some five years ago now, and since coming here, I've discovered that there, that the native people of New Zealand are called Māori, and the Māori people have, or had, or have, I guess, a legend about something called a tanifa. They have lots of legends, actually, and prior to moving to New Zealand, I barely even knew that Māori existed in the first place, much less did I know anything about their legends. New Zealand is a pretty good place, I think, comparatively to other places in the world that I've been. They're they're pretty good about acknowledging the native people. They're not great at it. I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm just saying that in terms of recognizing that people existed here before colonialism, New Zealand is doing an okay job. For instance, the official second language of New Zealand is Te Reo, which is the native tongue of Māori. It means, literally, I think it means the tongue, the language, Te Reo. So it, it's it's kind of nice to see a a real presence of the native culture. And again, I'm not saying that it's by any means perfect, and that that there's not separation, if not segregation, between different cultures. But I am saying that I'm I'm I was keenly more aware of the local native culture here in New Zealand than certainly I ever really was in most states of the U.S. Not all Oklahoma. I, I felt like I was pretty I was in Oklahoma for a couple of months once and. I got a good sense of the the native culture of Oklahoma, but maybe that was just because I happened to fall in with some Native Americans and they made it clear to me that they were the owners of that land. Whatever the reason, I feel like I'm I'm aware of the fact that there's a rich pre-colonial history here in New Zealand, and it's absolutely fascinating. And so I want to kind of introduce this concept of the Tanifa to you. If we're being lazy and possibly disrespectful, we could say very casually that the Tanifa are sea dragons. That's kind of the the really easy introduction to a Tanifa. What's a Tanifa? It's like a sea dragon. A dragon who favors the ocean. It may even be a sea monster, you could probably call it. That's what the Tanifa is. Historically, in, in legends that you will hear of the Tanifa, you you have stories about um, so first of all, I should say Tanifa is spelled, if you're looking for it online for more information, it's T-A-N-I-W-H-A. The W-H in transliterated Mori tongue is pronounced as an F, so Tanifa. That threw me for a loop for the first year that I was here. I could never understand why I was hearing all of these F sounds for all of these place names that clearly were spelt with a W. 
or WH specifically. So Tanifa, a couple of different stories about famous Tanifa in 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 historic legends that that you hear about. I'm sure there are probably a lot more about Tanifa that I've not yet heard about. My my education about the legends of of the Mori people have been really whatever I happen upon in museums, in local museums, and just kind of what I hear from from just kind of hearing things around town. I'm sure there's there's quite a lot more that I'm I'm missing out on. And at some point in the future on this show, I would love to have someone who 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 knows a culture really really well and interview them and actually get firsthand information about things that I I really have no clue about. But what I will say is that I've heard stories about Tanifa and one of them is quite famous because it is supposedly the reason that Wellington Harbor exists, which is actually where I live in Wellington. The Tanifa being great, terrifying, serpentine, dragon-like creatures are are somewhat uh, responsible for the shape and formation of of New Zealand itself, or Eotearoa, as they say in Tereo. So there's Watatai, and uh, I don't know how to say the name Ingake, N-G-A-K-E. I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation of that is. They were sea tanifa who created the Wellington Harbor. Traditionally, the harbor was once a lake in which these two tanifa lived, but Ngake, the, the one that I can't say the name of, of course, N-G-A-K-E, was restless and smashed his way through all the way to the Cook Strait, which separates the northern island from the southern island. Fataitai tried to get out a different way and became stranded on dry ground, and so his spirit took the form of a bird named Tekeo, which flew to the top of Wellington's Mount Victoria and mourned, which is why the mountain today is called Tangi Tekeo. Similar stories exist for all kinds of different formations. For instance, there's a waterfall, Terenga Waterfall. Hine Koreko was a female Tanifa who married a human named Tanekino, and they had a child named Tarenga, and some of Tanekino's relatives insulted Hine Koreko, so she left and went to live under Terengo Waterfall in uh, in Waro, or Raroa, but she remembered her ties to the community when the Raroa River was in, was flooding, threatening the lives of some of the humans. An old man called out to her as a canoe was being swept towards the falls, and she managed to slow the canoe and then push it upstream so that those on board were saved. So in other words, Tanifa are a little bit inextricably bound to water features, by and large. There are all kinds of legends about how people might go missing near the water because they got kidnapped by a Tanifa. Or, as as I've just, just related, quite the opposite. A Tanifa has turned friendly to humans because of some relationship with a human and has saved someone on the waterways uh, because of allegiance to to that particular iwi or the the tribe of of Maori people. Now the most famous tanifa I think would be Tuhirangi, which is the the tanifa that accompanied the original the the Maori explorer who discovered New Zealand. His name was Kupe, and he he had a tanifa along with him that protected him. I don't think it guided him, but it protected him as as he traveled. And eventually Tuhirangi went into the Cook Strait, I believe, and sort of guarded the the space between the two islands or something like that. So there are a couple of different stories about that, but that's kind of, that's the the famous 
canonical Tanifa, I think. The legends of the Tanifa kind of varied a lot between all the different tribes or the Iwi of of Mori people, so I don't gather that there's necessarily an absolute canonical version of what a Tanifa is and can do, which is kind of nice because that means that they're pretty flexible in terms of how one might treat them as a monster in their own fiction, which interestingly, does already kind of appear in at least one place in the Wizards of the Coast universe, if not the Dungeons and Dragons universe. But if you're a fan of Magic the Gathering, then way back in, I don't know, the 90s or something, there was a card called the Tanifa. It cost three land cards, so it it cost, or rather, it cost three uh, of any type and then two island lands to play and it was it its ability was phasing and trample so at the beginning of your upkeep all lands you control phase out now phasing i've never actually had a card that that does a phase but phasing is a static ability that modifies the rules of the untapped step um to summarize i think their example summarizes it pretty well so for instance if you control a phased out creature you cast a spell that says destroy all creatures, the phased out creature is not destroyed. So the Tanifa card, at the beginning of your upkeep, all lands you control phase out, meaning that the lands that you control essentially don't exist during your the upkeep stage. It is a 7-7 seven, seven card. Flavor text is Tanifa rolls in its sleep and the land is awash with the waves by the poetics of Hanan. It's a legendary creature of the serpent type. There's some debate about whether the Tanifa is referring to the generic Tanifa, or if that's the name of the serpent on this particular card. Because it is considered a legendary, it's a summon legend, uh, legendary creature card. So people seem to be unclear as to whether Tanifa refers to the, the type or is just the name of the of the of the of this particular sea serpent. And that's kind of what a Tanifa boils down to. Again, if we're being maybe a little bit flippant about it, maybe a little bit tiny bit disrespectfully, we could we can we can condense it down to okay, so it's a sea serpent. Again, I think you would have absolute the the right to to maybe argue against that, but at the same time, there's a there, there's a lot of similarities there, and there are some legends of Tanifa learning to fly. Even there's a there's a legend about one of one of the Tanifa learning to fly from a friend, um, a seagull or something, or an albatross or something like that. I, I think I couldn't find actually a whole lot of a, a dragon of the sea that really fit the the Tanifa look and feel. Not that there is actually a canonical look or potentially a canonical feel. I just wasn't seeing it in in anything that I was looking in, which includes the D&D monster manual, which actually right now is packed up in a box, so I I can't I can't be sure. I can't reference it for sure right now. But all five bestiaries from Paizo uh, and a couple of third-party bestiaries until I found an entry for a sea dragon in the Tome of Beasts from Cobalt Press, of course. The Tome of Beasts it's got to be one of the best bestiaries out there one of the best monster manuals or what's what's the generic term for a monster manual 
bestiary, I guess. It, it's one of the best out there. I've, I know I've mentioned it on this show before, and every time I open it, I realize why it is a go-to book. It's one of those that I purchased from the Kickstarter as just a PDF, and I, I really wish I'd purchased it as a, a, a hardcover. And if I see it in a gaming store at any point in the future, I'm going to definitely get myself a hard copy. It's one of those that you just you need to have on your shelf. So page 136 of the PDF, anyway, it's 135 of the actual book, is the dragon, comma, sea. This aquamarine dragon has a shark's head that tapers off into a sleek, eel-like body. Its large fins double as wings. So to be honest, given a lot of the legends that you will hear of the Tanifa, if you go to, to museums or if you if you look into the the, the native, I mean, there, there, there are no written tales. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are written tales now, but I mean, historically it wasn't written down, so it's all oral tradition being passed down. But if you if you listen to those, this this does seem a little bit spot on. It's it's pretty darn close. Here's here I'll give you an idea of some of the things that it has. So first of all, well it kind of depends actually. I was going to say I was going to just start reading uh, the ancient sea dragon and maybe that's maybe that's justified, maybe it's not. But it is kind of a cool one, so I guess I will I'll, I'll go for the the ancient sea dragon, but be aware that in the Tome of Beasts, they've got several varieties of these. They've got the adult sea dragon, they've got the young sea dragon, they've got the wormling. So you've got your choice between you know what kind of manifestation you would want to to to, to use uh, from from this collection or from this uh, from this entry rather. So the ancient the ancient sea dragon is a gargantuan dragon, neutral evil, armor class twenty two, hit points four hundred and eighty one, which they derive from twenty six d twenty plus just a bonus of two hundred and eight. Speed forty feet. They can fly for 80 feet, they swim for 80 feet. Strength 29, dex 10, con 27, int 19, whiz 17, charisma 21. Skip down to some of their abilities. They're amphibious, first of all. They can drink, they can breathe air and water. They have legendary resistance three times a day. If the dragon fails a saving throw, it can choose to succeed instead. So that's terrifying. Siege monster. The dragon deals Double damage to objects and structures. Actions multi-attack. The dragon can use its frightful presence. It then can it, it, it then makes three attacks: one with its bite and two with its claws. I'll skip over the details about the bite and claws. It also has a tail attack, which is a melee a melee weapon attack. It's a plus 16 to hit. Reach of 20 feet for one to one target. It hits for 2d8 plus 9 bludgeoning damage. It has frightful presence, which you know generally dragons do. It has a tidal breath, which recharges five to six. The dragon exhales a crushing wave of frigid seawater in a ninety-foot cone. Yeah, you heard that right, ninety-foot cone. Each creature in that area must make a DC twenty-three Dex saving throw. On failure, the target takes forty-four. That's eight D ten bludgeoning damage and 44 another 8d10 cold damage and is pushed 30 feet away from the dragon and knocked prone on a successful save the creature takes half as much damage and isn't pushed or knocked prone it's just it's one of those things where it's just terrifying to think about fighting this thing there are some legendary actions as well the dragon can take three legendary actions choosing from the options below only one legendary action option can be used at a time and only at the end of another creature's turn the dragon regains spent legendary actions at the start of its turn. So it can do a detect, 
the dragon makes a wisdom perception check. It can do the tail attack, which we've just discussed, and it can also make a wing attack. Costs two actions, but the dragon beats its wings. Each creature within 15 feet of the dragon must succeed at a DC 24 dex saving throw or take 2d6 plus 9 bludgeoning damage and be knocked prone. The dragon can then move up to half, can move up to half its flying speed or swimming speed if in the water. So it's a pretty, pretty full-on dragon. You wouldn't want to take this thing lightly. And the artwork's quite beautiful. It is, well, as it describes, it's sort of the head of a shark, if you can imagine that, on a, an eel-like body. But cross all of that with the form of a dragon. Really, really, really cool. It also has some special lair actions. So if you're fighting this thing on its home turf, you probably have a lot more to deal with. So for instance, on initiative count 20, that is losing initiative ties, the dragon takes a lair action and generates one of the following effects. The dragon can't use the same effect two rounds in a row. Four vortexes, each five feet in diameter and up to 30 feet tall, appear within the lair where the dragon wishes. Creatures occupying those spaces uh, enter the vortex for the first time on a turn, must make DC 15 dex saves or be restrained. So there you go. It costs an action to get yourself free and so on. Different lair action. The dragon creates a wall of living coral on a solid surface it can see within 120 feet of it. Uh, it can also do a bend time action. I don't know where that came from, but it can bend time around its enemies. Four creatures that the dragon can see within 120 feet must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or be affected by a slow spell. This effect lasts until initiative count 20 on the following round. It also has some regional effects, which I think are, are really, really nicely tied into my sort of reinterpretation of this as a Tanifa. So the region containing a legendary sea dragon's lair is warped by the dragon's magic, which creates one or more of the following effects. I mean, frankly, this is this is straight out of the Tanifa legend. So first of all, sea life becomes richer within six miles of the lair. Schools of fish move into new waters, sharks become common, whale migration paths shift to pass near the area. Water temperatures drop sharply within six miles of the lair. Creatures not accustomed to cold suffer exposure to extreme cold while swimming in this water. I'm not sure that that's necessarily out of the Tanifa playbook, but uh, certainly New Zealand's proximity to Antarctica doesn't make this completely crazy. And then finally, storms in rough water are more common within six miles of the lair, and I think that that's more or less correct as well. And the idea that this that this creature can affect the surroundings so strongly, well, as I've already explained, is is very much within within the within the playbook of of the Tanifa. It's it's the Tanifa are famously responsible for geological features of the islands of Eotearoa. So so to have that as part of the the sea dragons playbook is is pretty cool. I think it it fits pretty nicely. The other closest kind of entry I could find, and I, I just did a cursory glance through a couple of of books, but I, I was able to find just what what are called sea serpents. I was looking for Leviathan uh, originally, and I could only find one entry for that, which was in Tome of Horrors from Frog God slash Necromancer Games, and 
it it said Leviathan, but it seemed much more like a whale to me, both in the description and the illustration. So Leviathan, not necessarily the the key word there, but sea serpent appears in the uh, original bestiary of Pathfinder, just the the first bestiary one, and it's on page two forty four, and it's not bad. It's it's very much the 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 exactly what you would look for if you were on a a seafaring adventure and needed to throw something at your players uh that that you would think of when you're thinking of a sea serpent so so its skills are very very focused on on kind of that aquatic combat you know there's the capsize ability it can capsize a boat or a ship of its size or smaller by ramming into it uh, there's the elusive ability that it can get away from from ships easily, quickly, and that's kind of it. It is very much just a great sea monster rather than, for instance, a sea dragon. And from the stories of Tanifa, I feel like it's a little bit too reductionist to say, well, it's just a sea serpent. That seems like a true disservice to th- to the legend. So I think that the the sea dragon from Kobold Press, Tome of Beasts, I think that's the that's the one. That's the that's that's the the thing that they meant to call Tanifa, but probably didn't know the term Tanifa, or felt like Sea Dragon would be a lot more um, universally understood, which is is fair. I certainly wouldn't know have known what a Tanifa was unless I had moved to New Zealand, which I did, and hopefully I've I've passed on to you a little bit of a hint about the Tanifa that it exists. Well, that it doesn't exist, but that it exists mythologically, and that it is a great and powerful being. I've probably de-emphasized its its sort of its its environmental effects, which the Tome of Beasts kind of helped me uh, emphasize maybe a little bit. But I should say that in o- over the years of Tanifa legends, there's kind of been a, a mixture between Tanifa as a real creature and Tanifa as a, a spiritual power or a spiritual force, such that a Tanifa, a spirit of a Tanifa might might protect a certain land or a certain region. And it's not really meant, I don't think, as a as a physical entity, just as kind of a, a, a spiritual force that guards a, a certain area. And maybe it manifests as a creature when it needs to, but generally it's it's just the force of a Tanifa spirit. So there is that aspect to it as well, which again, that's why I like the Kobold Press interpretation of the Sea Dragon, because it's got that environmental effect, and it's got the, the sense that the region benefits from the Tanifa or the Sea Dragon's presence. That's everything. Tanifa is super interesting. Mori legends are really, really fascinating. The more I delve into it, the, the more fascinating I I find it. I'm hoping to get someone to talk to me about it more, but for now, I'll just go off of what I find at museums, what I hear around town, and I've passed on most of that to you. So that's the Tanifa. I hope it's been informative. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode network. 
Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.